All right, well, welcome. This is uh, First Sunday, brand new series called what? Life Coach. Life Coach. Now, as I've been thinking about my life, and I'm sure as you think about your own life, there's something that has really hit me, and it's the fact that there have been many coaches that have poured into my life over the years. I, I think about baseball coaches and football coaches and soccer coaches tennis coaches, swimming coaches. And, uh, but my all-time favorite coach is a coach named Mr. Bishop. My freshman year in high school, he was my soccer coach. And just to bring you back to that era, I went through my yearbook. And this is a picture of me playing soccer. Back then, this was me right here. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, that's, Robert, that's pretty good. So that's me when I had hair, okay? Remember that? You remember when you used to have hair? That's me, you know, uh, coming toward the ball, being the man, okay? Now, I have another picture. This is Mr. Bishop, uh, and here I am right here again with hair. <laughs> and there's my favorite all-time coach, Mr. Bishop. Now, my freshman year in high school, I went to Canyon High, they no longer have Canyon High. I destroyed the school. No, it closed uh, my freshman year, and now it's a uh, middle school. But Mr. Bishop, he lived in Danville, and of course, I grew up on Crow Canyon Road, so he had to drive past my house. And so after practice or after a game, it was his practice to drive me you know, to my home, and he'd go on to Danville. But it was in that ride that he became the first person other than my parents, who began to really take an interest in me. And the reason he was such a great coach was not because of what he taught me on the field, although that was helpful, but it was off the field. It was in these rides home. And as I look back, he became my first mentor. He became my first life coach. He started speaking truth into my life in a natural way that I had never experienced before as a young man. And, and I could tell, and I looked forward to these conversations. And I look back now on my freshman year in high school and those conversations, and, and I see that he was pouring into my life in this natural, unforced manner, but it had a profound impact on my life then and even to this day. A few weeks ago, I received a phone call from a young man, a father, and he uh, said, Pastor Mark, I said, yes, and he goes, you know... Um, this is so-and-so. I go, yeah, I know you. And he goes, you know, I've never had a mentor. And uh, my family life was really tough growing up. And he goes, could I just ask you a few questions? I said, of course. And we began to talk. You know, it's kinda, it kind of strikes me that I think that in all of us, regardless of how old you are or how young you are, I think there's something in all of us. I think you're going to agree with this that craves for a mentor. I think there's something in all of us that doesn't like to go, we don't want to go through life alone. All of us would love to have someone with a little bit more age, more expertise, that, that knows more than we do, that actually would speak into our lives and help us, you know, maybe get to the next level. I mean, wouldn't it be cool to have someone that you know that cares enough about you that they want to pour into your life. 
someone who has more experience, someone that would love to just see you develop as a person, someone like a life coach, someone like a mentor. Can you imagine having the Apostle Paul as your life coach? Can you imagine having the Apostle Paul as your mentor? Wouldn't that be crazy? I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be just incredible if in the Bible somehow there was like chapters and verses that contained Paul's mentoring advice to someone who was younger than him? Wouldn't that be great if there was a book like that? There is. It's called 2 Timothy. Take your Bibles and turn there. The book of 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul penned. Last letter he wrote. He's in jail. Paul is. He's in Rome. And and he wrote this letter to Timothy, a young man that Paul had been mentoring. Paul served as Timothy's life coach. And 2 Timothy is Paul's most personal letter. It contains four chapters, 83 verses, 25 commands. I mean, how many of you would love to have the Apostle Paul care about your life and give you a command? That would be cool. There's 25 of them in 2 Timothy. And in the midst of it all, there's 15 life coach lessons that emerge out of this amazing book. These life coach lessons were originally given to Timothy, but they are completely applicable to you and me, completely. So I'm subtitling this series, Timeless Truths from a Trusted Mentor. Your mentor will be Paul for the next 15 Sundays. These are timeless truths that he first gave to Timothy, but that apply to you as well. Some of you feel as if you've had to go through life alone, and it is a struggle, and you would love to have someone, and guess what? Your answers to your prayer has come about. Because if you'll just show up, you will be able to soak in the mentoring advice that Paul gave to Timothy and by extension to you. So this will be a special series for your life. If you are here by chance and you're with someone who's mentoring you, you can use this teaching as something you can discuss during the week. Or I would challenge you to bring someone that maybe you would like to mentor or maybe there's someone in this room that you would ask them to mentor you. And you could use this as the beginning of your mentoring relationship. Or you're watching online, or through video, or DVD, or whatever. You can enter into a mentoring relationship with someone and be watching these DVDs, and it will guide you through a process that will be very powerful for your life. So I guess my question is, are you ready to be mentored by the Apostle Paul? Are you ready to say, I'm willing to enter into a relationship with the Apostle Paul and receive the life coaching training that he's willing to give me, then my request of you would be this, be here on Sundays. Be here. Fifteen weeks, Paul is asking you to commit. I'm asking you to commit. So you can get the most out of this and experience a life that's transformed through this advice. Let's go to life coach lesson number one. 
it's summarized with these what? Five words? Six? Remember what you have in Christ. Can you repeat that after me? Remember what you have in Christ. That's the first mentoring advice that Paul gives to Timothy that we're going to unpack this morning. Now, let me just ask you a question. Do you find (laughs) that as you get older, it becomes increasingly and more difficult to remember certain things? I mean, it's like I just forget more and more and more the older I get. Are you finding that to be true? An elderly couple, they started getting forgetful. And so they visited their doctor. And their doctor told them that many people find it useful to write themselves just little notes, reminders. So when they got home, the wife said, Dear, will you please go to the kitchen and get me a dish of ice cream? And maybe you should write that down so you don't forget. (laughs) Nonsense, said the husband. (laughs) I can remember a dish of ice cream. Well said the wife, I'd also like, you know, some strawberries and whipped cream on it. No problem. My mind is not that bad, said the husband. A dish of ice cream with strawberries and whipped cream. I don't need to write that down. So he went into the kitchen, and his wife hears all these pots and pans and clanking around and banging around, and the husband finally emerges from the kitchen and presents the wife with a plate of bacon and eggs. And she looks at that plate of bacon and eggs and says, hey, where's the toast I asked for? (laughs) Here's one more. Patient says, doc, I keep forgetting things. Doctor says, when did you start having these problems? The patient says, what problems? (laughs) How about one more, all right? Bad is forgetting to take your medication. Worse is forgetting if you took your medication or not. Some of you can relate to that right now. Now watch this. All of us forget things, and we struggle. I think the older we get, forgetting probably more and more. But watch this. As your mentor, Paul, he comes right out of the gate by saying, Timothy, there is something you must not forget. There is something you must remember, and it's what you have in Christ. Hmm. Question, on a scale of 1 to 10, how good are you personally at remembering what you have in Christ? When you wake up in the morning, be honest, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Is it all the things that you don't have? Is it all your problems? then Paul, as your mentor, would say, Timothy, don't wake up thinking about your problems. Don't wake up thinking what you don't have. You wake up, first thing, you think about what you have in Christ. Wow. Now, we're going to go into this and look at it and connect it in the Bible in a second. We're just going to study the first two verses in 2 Timothy chapter 1 today. But I want to give you three reasons why It's important, the first thing you remember, what you have in Christ when you wake up, why that's important. Here's three reasons. Number one is this. Why is it important that you and I remember what we have in Christ? Because, number one, we tend to forget what we should remember. And watch this. We tend to remember what we should forget. It's human nature. You've got to think about that 
But this is what happens. We tend toward the negative. Satan wants you to remember what you should forget. And some of you struggle with this. You wake up in the morning and you're remembering what you should forget and you're not remembering what you should remember. I mean, we should forget that certain conversation that we had with so-and-so that is now eating away at our soul, but we're remembering it. We should forget what happened to our lives back then or whatever, but we remember it. There's another reason why we need to remember what we have in Christ. Because we're going to experience much, much loss in this life. You see, the Bible does not promise a life free of loss. We're going to experience relationship loss. People will disappoint us. People are going to leave us. People eventually die. We're going to experience financial loss. We're going to experience health loss. I mean, man, I used to get out of bed in the morning with no pain. Now I go to bed with pain, and I wake up with pain. Are you following me? There is loss in this life in every single area. And watch this. We have to counterbalance the loss of life, which is natural, by remembering what we have in Christ that can never be taken away. This is why Paul's telling us, Timothy, you need to remember what you have. There's a third reason why. We need to remember what we have in Christ because we're going to experience all sorts of challenges and hardships and difficulties. We are. I mean, even Jesus told us in John 15, 18, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You see, here's the thing. The Apostle Paul was an experienced, seasoned believer. He was at least, watch this, follow me, 30 years older than Timothy. And as his life coach and as our life coach... The Apostle Paul could see all the hardships and all the difficulties and all the problems that you and I were going to face and that Timothy was going to face as a young pastor. And Paul starts off his letter by reminding Timothy and us of what we have in Christ. And I'm suggesting to you that when you wake up in the morning, and this is your life lesson, the first one, that you remember what you have in Christ. Because that flat out will change probably 80% of the lives here. Because for most of us, when we, get, we wake up, it's all the problems, all the issues. Wow, is this a powerful bit of advice. So I want us to study the first two verses, 2 Timothy chapter 1. It's a greeting. On the face value of it all, this is just Paul's greeting to Timothy in this letter but within this greeting, there are three things that Paul identifies that we need to remember that are a part of what we have in Christ. Number one, the first thing we have in Christ, we need to remember our special position in Christ. Now look if you would at verse one. Paul talks about his position. Paul, he's the author. An apostle is the position that Paul had received of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now watch this. Paul was not always an apostle. He always did not have that position. And when Timothy would have picked up this letter that was delivered to him in Ephesus, and he would have read it on a scroll, he would have read these first six words that we have in English, and he would have begun to think about Paul. How many times had Timothy 
heard the story of how Paul became an apostle many times. And Timothy would have thought back, you're right, in Acts chapter 7 and 8, back then, Paul, known as Saul, was on a rampage out to kill Christians, arrest them. And he was hearing Stephen give his testimony. Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And Saul was there listening to the story in Acts chapter 8. They stoned Stephen. Saul, the writer of this book, 2 Timothy, who became Paul, he was the one who oversaw the stoning of the first Christian that we have, the first martyr in Christian history. But then in Acts chapter 9, Saul begins to move and walk out on a rampage to go to Damascus, which is in modern-day Syria. And he's on his way to Damascus, and a great light comes from heaven and blinds Saul. And the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you? I'm Jesus. And Saul's life has changed. He's like stunned. He's led by hand into the city of Damascus, and a man named Ananias is sent to Saul to pray over Saul. And Saul, and and God says, I'm going to show Saul how much he's going to suffer for me. And Saul is born again. He becomes a believer there that day and becomes God's apostle. And Paul, as he writes this letter, says, Timothy, Paul, an apostle. Of Jesus. And Timothy would have thought, yeah, that whole story, the role, the, the position, Paul, it's a miracle. Guess what? You have the same thing. You are a miracle. The fact you're here this morning, you're not who you used to be. You are a child of God. God has done a miracle in your life. You are God's servant. You see, there is a position that you have that is special. And you want to know why that came about? Because of Jesus and his work in your life. And these are the things Timothy would have thought about as he's reading the book. And then Paul shows something very, very cool to Timothy. Look at verse 2. Then he says something about Timothy's position. To Timothy, my dear son. And Timothy would have thought, wow, I remember that day. Timothy was not Paul's biological son. He was his spiritual son. Timothy was from a place called Lystra, a city in the province of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. Some of you have been with me to Turkey. And Paul visited Lystra on his first missionary journey. And if you want to read about that story, it's in Acts 14, 6 through 22. And he leads Timothy, there a young man, in Lystra to Christ. And I've I've given you a picture. This is modern-day Lystra, uh, literally the tell of Lystra. It, this is the city. It's, it needs to be excavated with an archaeological dig, and maybe one day it will. But that is where the Apostle Paul led Timothy to Christ on his first missionary journey. And, and then Paul revisits the city of Lystra on a second missionary journey. And it's there that this relationship of Paul and Timothy and mentoring and life coaching begins. Actually, take your Bibles. Turn to Acts 16. Let's just flip back there a little bit. Let's read about this moment in history. It's beautiful. In Acts 16, this is on Paul's second missionary journey. Timothy's already Christian. He's grown in his faith in his hometown in Lystra. Then Paul comes back. He came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish and a believer. 
but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and at Iconium spoke well of him, so he had a good reputation, Timothy did. Verse 3, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him. Ouch! I mean, that Paul circumcised Timothy, that, that kind of bonds you, I guess, you know? And, and, and he wanted to take Timothy along. If you don't know what circumcision is and you're watching this, just ask your mentor. <laughs> and notice it says, and they traveled from town to town, verse 4 says. This is where it all began. All of a sudden, Timothy begins traveling with Paul. Paul takes him under his arm. This is the deal. You got coach taking the player and beginning this relationship. So, Timothy becomes Paul's, watch this, closest friend, disciple, co-laborer for the rest of Paul's life. Wow. He travels, Timothy does, with Paul to Berea and then to Athens and to Corinth and to many other places throughout Asia Minor and Europe and the Middle East. He was with Paul during his first Roman imprisonment. Paul often sent Timothy to various churches as his representative to Corinth and other places. And when Paul wrote 1 and 2 Timothy, Timothy was actually left uh, by Paul at Ephesus to pastor the church at Ephesus. And uh, some of you have been with me to Ephesus. Here's a picture of, of Ephesus. And this right here is a library. Paul and Timothy, without question, would have walked these steps. They would have gone into that library. The school of Tyrannus, where the Apostle Paul taught, is thought to be right behind that library. It's just not been excavated yet. But scholars believe it, it's there. It just needs to be excavated. But Paul and Timothy would have literally walked these streets. Timothy pastored here for several years. Paul taught there for several years. Even 1 Timothy 1.3, I have it on your outlines. As I urged you when I went on to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer. The point I'm trying to make right here, don't lose the point, is that Timothy's position as Paul's son in the faith was due to one thing, beloved. It's the grace of God, the miracle of God's working in his life. And here's the application for you. You have a special position that you have. And when you wake up in the morning, one of the first things that you should say is, thank you, Jesus, that I belong to you. You see, the Bible says, John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Jesus somehow chose you. And when we wake up, we need to thank the Lord that we're part of his family, that we're saved by his grace. And then God's given us a position of being a father, a son, a grandfather, whatever else in life. All of your position that you have is due to one thing, Jesus and his grace in your life. Whatever position, I don't care what it is, you name it, it's all the grace of the Lord. It's all Jesus' work. It is a gift. And we're called to remember that. Remember that. You might lose your finances. You might lose your job, your health, whatever. But you can never lose that position that you have that has been given to you in Jesus Christ. Nothing can change that. Nothing can take that away. And we need to remember this position, this place, this standing. And this is what your mentor is saying. You're going to experience so many difficulties in this life, Timothy. But remember, <laughs> remember what you have this position in the Lord. Wow. Let's talk about that at our tables. Why do we need to remember? 
the special position we have been given by the Lord Jesus that no one can take away. Take a moment, talk about that. So we need to remember what we have in Christ. We need to remember this special position that we have in Christ. Hey, Paul was an apostle. Timothy was a son in the faith. All of us have this special position the Lord's given us. It's what we have in Christ. Second thing that Paul reminds us to remember what we have in Christ, we need to remember the promise of life that we have in Christ. Notice what Paul says to Timothy there in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. What is this promise of life? This is the promise that we've been given. Watch this. No matter what happens in your life, you're going to live forever. It's the promise of everlasting life. Watch this. As a Christian, you can start taking that for granted. Never do that. Never demean the resurrection of Jesus Christ and your resurrection as well. You know how precious it is to go through life knowing you will never die? That like your last breath here is your first breath in heaven? It's like, are you kidding me? That's incredible. And Paul is saying, Timothy, never forget what you have. You have the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Whatever happens, don't forget that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the promise of life. Jesus said, John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, if you believed on Jesus, you will live even though you die. You can die physically, you will never die spiritually. You have that promise. And to wake up in the morning, knowing you have that promise, no matter what else happens, you are gonna live forever with God in heaven and all of God's people, and that is like crazy good. And we need to remember that. Now, it's very important to remember the context of this letter because when you think about Paul, it just becomes all the more like, whoa, that's incredible. Paul is writing this letter from a dark, dank Roman jail cell around 66 AD, and he's writing this letter to Timothy, who was in Ephesus. Now, The book is called, by some scholars, Paul's Last Will and Testament. Why? Because it's the last letter Paul wrote before he died in 67 AD where he was beheaded by Nero in prison. And Paul writes in this letter about his imminent death, his imminent death. And and we see this in in many areas. We're going to study this later in detail, but go to chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I mean, Paul is writing this letter knowing at any moment he could die. We're going to study a little bit later on how most of Paul's friends had deserted him except for a guy named Onesiphorus and also Luke. We'll read also here in chapter 4 that on two occasions Paul implored Timothy, Timothy, please leave Ephesus and come to see me in Rome in jail. You look at verse 9, do your best to come to me quickly. And then in verse 12, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus, presumably with a letter of 2 Timothy. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and the scrolls, especially the parchments. What I'm trying to say here is this. Think about where Paul's at. He's in jail. 
literally ready. This is his second Roman imprisonment. He's about ready to be executed. And what's so powerful is this. I don't know what you'd write in jail when you know that any second you could be executed. But Paul took the time to write a letter to his dear son in the faith. And he took the time to remind Timothy, guess what, Timothy? I might be executed, but we have a promise of eternal life. And by the time you get here to Rome, my head may be cut off, but there's a promise of everlasting life. And that promise means I will see you again in glory. Paul wanted Timothy to be aware of what we have in Christ, the promise of eternal life. And Paul would want you to know that as well. Whatever dark dungeon you're in right now, right this morning, whatever's going on in your life, you need to know you have the promise you're going to live forever with God in eternity. Hallelujah! I mean, that is just an amazing truth. But watch this. Some of us aren't waking up in the morning with that reality. We're waking up, and the first thing we think about are all the... And we're not thinking about what we have. And this is Paul's mentoring advice. Timothy, lesson number one. Because Paul was passing on the baton to Timothy. Paul is like... He's giving the ministry, the ongoing ministry of what Paul, Paul's like, I'm getting ready to go off the scene. If you're going to make it, if you're going to survive as a pastor, if you're going to survive as a Christ follower, Timothy, you need to know your position, that it's all God's grace and a miracle, but you also need to know the promise of life, that it's not about this life. You're going to have all sorts of trials and difficulties. Guess what? We're going to all be together one day. You're going to see my face again. Maybe not in this life, but I hope so. Please come and see me quick. But if not, guess what? We're going to live forever in glory. And you know, I, I look about that as well. I mean, I just go, uh, it's an honor for me to be here, but guess what? I never know. I, you may not see my face next Sunday. Who knows what can happen? I could get in a car accident or whatever. This is what I want you to know. I'll be there to greet you in heaven. Mark will be there. Behind Jesus, but I'll be there. I'll be there, and you're going to be there. Don't worry. It's all right. It's all right. I, live with that reality. I pass that baton on to you. This is what we have as Christians. The reality will live forever. Hmm. I don't know about your condition or lack of condition. I don't know about your health or lack of health. I don't know about your age or lack of age or whatever. I know this much. If you're in Christ, you're going to live forever. <laughs> That is so cool. I write these things to you, John said, who believe in the name of the Son of God so you may know you have eternal life. So you may know you have eternal life. When you wake up in the morning, do you know you have eternal life? Are you banking on the promise of eternal life? Paul says, this is something you need to remember, Timothy, and live your light, life in light of that. Now, Revelation 21, I just, I, I, this is one of my favorite scriptures. And I was with a dear man who's near death. I was at his uh, bed his wife attends homebuilders, and I was there on Friday, held his hand. He's basically comatose. Had the privilege of, of leading him to Christ. Because of his faith in Jesus, he's going to be in heaven. And I held his hand, and I read this scripture to Chris. I said, Chris, this is what Jesus says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men. Do you know one day you're going to experience the dwelling of God being with you? That is eternal life. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. One day you will see God face to face. You will be in his presence. That is eternal life. That is life indeed. This is not life yet. This is just a taste. But one day, the physical reality of God and being in his presence is what eternal life is all about. That is what we're guaranteed. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Right now we have tears. And that dear wife has tears. And we all cried around that bed. Tears in our hearts, tears in our eyes. But guess what? That's not the end. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away and then I love this. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. One day in eternity, everything's going to be made new. And we're going to be there together. We're going to know each other for all eternity. You have to put up with me for all eternity. Man, I don't know how you're going to do that. I seriously don't. But, and I'm going to have to put up with you for all eternity. Isn't that going to be great? The family of God is just so amazing but we wake up with the promise of eternal life. All right, you got to talk about this for a second. Why do you think it's important that we remember the promise of eternal life that we have been given in Christ? Why is it important? Talk about that. Go for it. We need to remember what we have in Christ. When we wake up in the morning, we need to remember the position we've been given as a child of God. We need to remember the promise of eternal life that we've been given in Christ. And thirdly is this, we need to remember the blessings we have in Christ. Now turn to your neighbor right now and just say, I want you to grab him on the shoulders, look at him and say, you are blessed. You are blessed. Yes. Oh, good. Awesome. Now, that's the truth. But sometimes we, let's be honest, sometimes we wake up and guess what? We don't feel blessed. And we're not telling ourselves we're blessed, but I have to tell you on the authority of God's word, that is a lie. But some of us wake up and we're telling ourselves lies. And Paul, as our mentor, is saying, you need to tell yourself the truth when you wake up. You need to remind yourself when you wake up, first thing, how blessed you are. You need to remind yourself what you have in Christ. Now, Paul points out three areas of blessing that all believers receive again and again and again. Look what he says in verse 2, to Timothy, my dear son. Then he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's look at these one at a time. Number one, we have grace. What is grace? Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace, acronym. G stands for God, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. All of us have been just received so much grace. Think of all the stuff God's given you that you don't deserve. Let's start with our salvation. Ephesians 2, 8. For it is by grace you have been saved. You didn't work for your salvation. It's all a gift of God. It's His grace. And then Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. In Him we have received redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven of all your sins. Why? In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he's lavished on us, that like he's dumped on you, this grace. 
Think of what you have that you don't deserve. Your home, your husband, your wife, your friends, your family. Your health, your food, your car. This country, the United States. The Holy Spirit, heaven. It goes on and on and on. God's grace, He's just poured out on us. If you can read your outline this morning, if you can read anything, you are more blessed than over 2 billion people in our world who can't read at all. If you have any money in the bank or any spare change in your wallet or purse or maybe some hidden dish at home, you rank among the top 8% of the world's most wealthy. God's grace. If you're able to attend church and worship without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than 3 billion people on our planet. God's grace is so rich, so rich in your life. Not only grace, but also we have the blessing of God's mercy. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. Now watch this. All of us are sinners, so you know what we deserve? (laughs) We deserve justice. We deserve punishment. We deserve judgment. We deserve death. We do. But Lamentations 3, 23 and 22 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions, and the, the word is mercies, never fail. They are new. Notice what it says there. God's mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, that Hebrew word for new is the, is the Hebrew word hadas. And it's a very interesting word. And it means new as in, not as, as in again and again. It means new as in a different manner. It means new in the sense that it's never been experienced before by you. In other words, today's mercy is different than yesterday's mercy. And, today's, and tomorrow's mercy will be different than today's mercy that you experience from God. God's mercy is like this. It's new and unique like a snowflake is completely new and unique, and there's no two snowflakes exactly alike. By the time you retire, you will have experienced 23,725 different forms of God's mercy. You have God's grace. You have God's mercy. And also we have peace. Peace is God's inner contentment and comfort that defies comprehension. Now, the Bible does speak about the peace with God that comes through faith. We know that. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no longer any enmity between us and God because of Jesus Christ and the peace He provided positionally between us and God. But also, the Bible speaks of the peace of God, which is a peace that floods our hearts, that defies all comprehension. And that's amazing to me. The situations I've been in, the, 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 the families that I visit in moments of crisis, and the peace of God that just floods hearts when, when people should be just going nuts. In a believer's life, it's crazy, that peace. And you know that peace. See, that, that's a gift that God gives. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 7. You see, this is what we have. This is what we've received. This amazing blessings of God, of grace and mercy and peace. You have this. But do you remember that you have been given this? When you wake up, 
Do you thank God for his blessings? Or do you go right to all your problems, all your issues, what you don't have? Paul is trying to say to you and me, lesson number one, if you want me to mentor you, is when you wake up, do not think about your problems. You think about what you have in Christ. You think about the blessings that you have. This will change your life, Timothy. This is how I've made it as the Apostle Paul to the point where I have to the end of my life where I'm going to finish well. Yes, my head might be cut off, and it was, but I'm going to finish well. And the reason why, lesson number one, is I remember what I have in Jesus Christ. Talk about that at your tables. How can you remember better the blessings of God that come to us because we are in Christ? Talk about that. Okay, I don't know what you thought you'd experience when you came to church today or when you're watching this DVD, but I have amazing, amazing, incredible news for you, and it's this. You have a mentor. You have a life coach. You don't need to go through life alone. You have someone who loves you deeply and who is willing to invest their life into yours. You just have to show up and be here. The book of 2 Timothy is in God's Word. It was written for your consumption. Four chapters, 83 verses, 25 commands, 15 life coach lessons. Life coach lesson number one, remember what you have in Christ. First thing, remember what you have in Christ. Some of you wake up in the morning and you're not remembering that first thing. And that's why you need a life coach. Because you don't want to continue in that pattern as a husband, as a wife, as a man of God, as a woman of God. You've got to change some patterns. Why do we need to remember what we have in Christ? Because we tend to forget what we should remember. And we remember what we should forget. And we're going to experience a lot of loss in this life and a lot of difficulties and hardships and challenges. Watch this. You have got to counterbalance all of that by remembering what you have in Christ. You need to remember this special position, a child of God, a man of God, a woman of God. Wow. You've got to remember the promise of eternal life that you're going to live forever that you have. It's in the bank. You've got to remember all the blessings of the Lord and count them. Grace, mercy, and peace, and there are others. Tuesday, January 19th, was a very special day, night, as many in our nation tuned in to watch on TV what was called the Coaching Corps Game Changer Awards. I don't know if any of you saw that, but this event was held to honor the coaches and mentors who furthered the careers of elite athletes and countless young people. And it was touching to hear Steph Curry... MVP in the NBA, tell his college coach, Bob McKillop, thank you for taking a chance on a scrawny kid who looked like a 12-year-old. And Steph still looks like a 12-year-old. And Steph said, I wouldn't be here without you. And, and, and I love the term they attributed to these coaches and mentors. They called them this, game changers. 
That's right. Now listen, the right life coach, the right mentor can be a game changer for your life. Absolutely. And I'm going to end each of our 15 messages with a life coach game changer challenge. And this is what I want you to do with this game changer challenge. I want you to take it home. I want you to memorize it. I want you to live with it for an entire week and then come back next Sunday for the next game changer challenge. And here's the the, the game changer challenge I want you to live with. Here's just a question. What would happen if you began each day remembering what you have in Christ? What would happen if rather than beginning each day by remembering what you don't have and all the problems and the issues you're going to face, but what would actually happen if you began, if you woke up, the way you wake up is so important. What would happen if you woke up and you began to remember what you have in Christ, your position and the promise of eternal life and all the blessings? What is going to change? What is God going to do? So my challenge for you is take this outline. This is what I want you to do with that outline. I want you to put it on your mirror where you shave. If you're like Steph Curran, you haven't even started to shave yet, you still look in a mirror. I want you to put that on a mirror. Ladies, you do your, and I want you to literally say out loud that game changer challenge to where it starts to seep into your soul. And I guarantee at the end of this series, if you get 15 of these Game Changer Challenge is under your belt and you start to, it's going to change your life, the way you live life. And I could tell by how quiet it got in here, a lot of you are just like, you know, you're right. The way I begin my day, my attitude, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that uh, your word is just so cool. Thank you that you would preserve this amazing book, 2 Timothy, that really contains Paul's mentoring advice to this young guy, Timothy, and Lord, that we can take it to heart. And so, Lord, help us to remember what we have in Christ. I really pray that we would see this week us beginning our days different than maybe we ever have in our entire life, and that this would be the first mentoring lesson we would take and really begin to weave into how we do life and how we live remembering our position in Christ and the promise of life we have in Christ and the blessings we have in Christ, would you just take a moment and just say, Lord, I'm in, man. I want to be mentored by you, oh, Holy Spirit. Help me to begin each day remembering what I have in you. Would you just take a moment and talk to God about that? All God's people said? All right.